this episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we've got Zach Booth with Pinpoint Sales, and he flew in from Layton, Utah, to talk about how he brings in a million dollars per year driving for dollars. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Training, sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. One question I get all the time is how do I become one of the 100 millionaires? The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you will take consistent action, you will become one. If you want to get there faster, send me a message on Instagram and we'll see if we can help you. Uh, and this show is brought to you by InvestorList. So if you want to get access to over 2 million cash buyers across the country, go to InvestorList.com and put in disruptors to get 10% off. If you get value out of the show, please tag it from below or share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And this is a live show, so please ask your questions for Zach to answer. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So first question is, what got you into real estate? Uh, it was a way to get out of window cleaning, honestly. <laughs> um, no, so anything at that time. Yeah. I mean, really anything to, to get out of it. The, the big thing actually was I grew up, um, I grew up working. You know, my dad... Uh, cut me off financially when I was 16, you know, but I had been working for the family, Milan mowing business after school and after work from the time I was 11. So I remember when I was 14 years old, um, we were mowing lawns after, you know, after school and after my dad's day job. And I remember asking my dad, like, why do we mow other people's lawns? Why are they not mowing our lawns? You know, why do they have these giant mansions and we don't? Mm -hmm. And um, my dad's like, I don't know, ask my rich friend. <laughs> And his name was Clint Sherman. And so Clint has a bunch of rentals. Uh, still to this day, I actually went fishing with him in Alaska this summer. He has a couple hundred doors. And um, I remember asking my dad, I was like, he doesn't have money. He drives a beat up old truck. You know, mm -hmm. he's like, no, son, he has money. He's just cheap. I'm like, oh, okay. So I asked him and he introduced Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the book. I was going to say, this sounds a little bit like it, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Exactly. Right. And then he introduced me to that book. Um, so when I was 14, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So already at 14, my little brain started going, okay, how do I own my own business? How do I take control of my own finances, right? How do I not be broke? And uh, that kind of put me on the journey of becoming an entrepreneur at 17 and starting my first business. And um, ulti ultimately, I bought my first duplex uh, when I was in my very early 20s. It's was 20, 21, uh, almost 22. So in 2012, I bought my first rental. So you said your dad cut you off when you were 16. Was this by design or did you do something? Design, actually. Okay. Yeah. So my dad, um, he was raised in a pretty rough situation. You know, he told me stories of uh, borrowing or asking his neighbors for food to feed his younger siblings. Mm -hmm. So his real dad was a gambler and alcoholic. Uh, his stepdad was a Korean War vet, saw battle, I'm sure PTSD and, and so forth. And sure. a pretty abusive situation. So my dad, from a very, very young age, was on his own. Um, mm -hmm. My mom and uh, kind of changed the family. You know, he was very much there present and, and, and a loving father. He was very stern. You know, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, he was a very, very stern man. He didn't take crap. He didn't, he, it was his way or the highway. Mm -hmm. Very much we respect our father or you die. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it was a good thing, you know, he raised us to work. And so when I was 16, he considered me a man. He said, okay, you're in charge of taking care of everything. He's like, well, you don't have to pay for food. You don't have to pay for housing. Um, you get 200 bucks a year for clothing and the rest is on you. And he wouldn't even co-sign a loan to buy a truck. Yeah. He said, if you want a truck, you'll find the cash like I did. 
Right. And so, you know, I was, uh, you know, when I was 15, I, I'd stopped working for the family business. Started what was doing the family it. business? Family business was lawn mowing and yard okay. maintenance. And so I did and that. And the window the cleaning was what? Window cleaning was my own design. It was, okay. it was a way to quit trading time for money. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time I was 17 and started that window cleaning business, I had, you know, I'd worked in Nova Scotia, Canada in the summer, uh, 80 hour work weeks to come up with the cash to buy my first truck, to start my first business. Um, so you started a business at 17 years old? 17. Yeah. Wow. So I had my first employee when I was 17, my senior year in high school, I was writing off my own work release hours. You know, I couldn't sign a business license and get licensed and insured and bonded and everything to get the larger contracts until I was 18 years old. And my dad wouldn't even sign papers with me and use his name or his mm-hmm. social security because of the, the potential risks to his financial situation. Sure. So on my 18th birthday, I went and got my business. That's what I did for my birthday as I got my first business license so I could get the larger contracts with banks and credit unions and dealerships and get route work and that kind of stuff. So yeah, when I was, I was 17 years old, I was already sick of working for the man. You know, I had made handcrafted cheese, or framed houses. College, or going to high school. Yeah, going to school was a pain in my butt, right? Because it was, I didn't get paid. Actually, I did get paid. Um, my dad realized that if, if he wanted me to get good grades, he had to pay me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got five bucks uh, an A minus, ten bucks an A, and I got nothing if I got anything under a B plus. Mm-hmm. So I got a nine, a nine uh, or what is it? A a, a three point nine seven GPA. Mm-hmm. I got all A's and one A minus all through high school because I got paid. Right. And it wasn't because I was smart. It wasn't because I was a good student. I got really good at talking the teachers into feeling sorry for me enough to give me an A. <laughs> I mean, there was a pretty good argument there. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I really want to get into a good college. I had mm-hmm. zero interest in going to college, but I wanted my 10 bucks. So you were saying that you were doing cottage. What was that? All those other things you did. Uh, Still I in made, high school? Yeah, I made handcrafted cheese. Uh, worked for like a, a cheese company called Beehive Cheese. Uh, I did taxidermy uh, at nights. Um, so like skinning ducks and crazy stuff for taxidermists. Wow. Yeah, it was, that was a nasty job. Um, I did finished carpentry. I framed houses uh, in the summers. I did... Um, I worked in a wood mill. I worked a, a big glue machine, you know, mm-hmm. you, where you clamp all the pieces of wood together. Um, so you knew you weren't going to college. I did go to college for a time. Okay. Um, and I, I was, I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm asking this because you don't know I me mean, at first. We don't have a lot of people starting their businesses at 17, right? I think yeah. Willie Coleman, we had on the show, like he came here when he was 18 years old. He already done like a whole bunch of houses. That's cool. But besides him, most people aren't working legally <laughs> in high school yeah. uh, for themselves. Then you go, no one that I know of has ever started a business and then went to college. Yeah, I, so I was trying was to do both. Process? I was trying to do both. So I started the business when I was 17. I ran that for a couple years. Um, I got it up to a couple trucks and a couple employees. I had to put everything on hold because I chose to serve a Christian mission. So I went down to Sao Paulo, Brazil. I learned Portuguese and I lived in Brazil for two years. I actually met my wife down there. And so when I came home, I was dealing with immigration. I was dealing with paying all those attorney fees and dealing with the, the nightmare that the immigration process really is in this country. And um, going to school, going to college, and growing my, my window cleaning business. And so doing all of those... It was still intact after those two years. Um, I basically, I put all my clients on hold and 
put the clients back together. So it was, it was tough, man. I, I, uh, I was working a lot. Yeah. So a lot. You go on your mission. It didn't sound like it was much later after you got back that you said you bought your first duplex around 21, 22 years old. Yeah. I bought it only about nine months after I got home. So at this point now you're officially out of college. Yeah. Yeah. I dropped out by that point. Okay. So let's talk about that first deal. How did you find that first deal? So that first deal was actually listed on the MLS. So this was, you know, 2012, there's a lot of banks unloading their foreclosures. Mm -hmm. So timing was good for me. And I thought I was really smart. (laughs) I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I was able to find this duplex for, uh, $60,000 had standing water in the basement, had termites. It was a nightmare, smelt horrible. And I told the, the real estate agent, I said, the stinkier, the better. I had construction experience. I wasn't mm-hmm. afraid of hard work. So I went in myself and did the, the remodel. So I remodeled the upstairs in just a couple weeks on my own at nights, basically, while I was running my business. We moved into the upstairs, and then I went to work on the basement at nights and so forth. And um, I was able to rent the basement for about $750 a month. And my monthly payment, including escrow, was about 450 so not only did I live for free, but I got paid to live there. Yeah. So I got a, I got a taste of that. And I said, that's so much easier money than window cleaning. That's that house hacking. Sure. And when you say we, that's you and your wife at this time. Me and my wife. Yep. Gotcha. Newly okay. married. Uh, so you found off the MLS realtor brought it to you and it was pretty seamless. Yeah, it, it was seamless. You know, it was cool because I got a grant as well. So my down payment of five thousand bucks was a free grant from the government for a first oh, yeah, time home buyer. Oh yeah, first time home buyer tax first credit. First time home buyer. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, man, I'm so smart. Let's do this again. Mm-hmm. I thought I had cracked the code, and I was the smartest guy on the planet. Well, then the bank said, okay, well, you want another investment, Zach? Well, you need to put twenty five percent down. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't have twenty five percent to put down. And then plus my debt to income ratios and, and, you know, buying and the prices, the houses kept going up. Right. And so I just kept having more and more roadblocks to get into real estate investing beyond that. Um, we, we were able to house hack another one and move into another one, but it was forcing me to keep moving. And then my wife got pregnant. We weren't, it wasn't planned house hacking and living with tenants. Wasn't a fun thing anymore for my wife. Sure. So there was just kept becoming more and more problems to getting into real estate investing. There's just more and more obstacles. And I really started hating more and more window cleaning. So there had to be, there had to be a way to transition. I wanted out, but I didn't really know how. So what'd you do? Tom Kroll and Cody Hoffine came into my life. Gotcha. So, um, I learned about real estate wholesaling, right? The concept that I could do some marketing, I could find properties at a massive discount. And I said, aha, this is it. I could have cash. I could have lots of cash to take care of my family, grow a business. But then I would have a business that the business is generating deeply discounted deals. So I was like, this is perfect. I cherry pick the best, sell the rest. How did you hear about wholesaling? Um, couple places. I heard about it in a podcast. I said, well, I don't want to do that. I want to hold properties. Mm-hmm. So, But I, that was kind of like the first thought process. Um, and then there was, you know, once you start looking into it, 
everyone pops up in your ads. Right. They follow you everywhere. Right? <laughs> Forever. Forever. Yeah. yeah. So I got on an email list and so forth, started hearing about it. But then I met Cody Hoffine at a RIA meeting in Utah. So I'm from Utah. If you don't know who Cody Hoffine is, everybody, uh, he was uh, one of the people that owned and, and grew Wholesaling Inc. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a great podcast like Wholesaling Inc. Uh, so I became a rhino, right? I, I joined their program, their coaching program under Tom Kroll and Cody Hoffine. Um, and when and was this approximately? This this was at the very beginning of 2017, not too long ago. So really, not long ago at all. I mean, five years. Five, five years. Short years. Yeah, it's changed my life. Yeah. You know, and so I had done a handful of deals. I had tried flipping some houses. There's there's more to the story, but you know, I just it was just roadblock, roadblock, lose money on a flip, roadblock. It's just so you you did face multiple adversities, and not just the challenge of living with tenants with a pregnant or with kids. Sure. It was, you did try to do this on your own. Oh, yeah. And there were other challenges. Oh, I made so many mistakes. I threw away so much money. What were some of the biggest mistakes? Oh, shoot. I I signed a $30,000 contract with a digital marketing company for Facebook ads to generate leads. Not only did I not do a deal off of it, but I never got a lead for $30,000. So 15 grand in, no leads. I had to cancel the contract. But if I canceled, I had to pay the remaining 50% that was owed. So I ended up losing like 20 something thousand dollars on that one. Ouch. Uh, I joined another coach before Cody and Tom that was just a big package of information. Mm -hmm. It was just selling information. It wasn't, Hey, here's the action steps. Here's the outline. That was a big mistake. That was 10 grand. So I made a lot of mistakes in the journey. It wasn't just like, Oh, boom, overnight success. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of glad it wasn't because I appreciate it more. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it was definitely a, a struggle to, to get to where I'm at. So you hear about wholesaling Inc. You sign up for Tom and Cody's program. Yep. And then what happened after you signed up? Yep. So I signed up in February, 2017, very beginning. And I was trying to run a window cleaning company and you know, I had three trucks, 13 employees, a business partner. It was busy. I was working overtime hours. So what kind of margins are there in window? <sighs> 15%. 15%. Yeah. How much overhead did you have? A lot. I mean, when I sold it, we did like a half a million that year and, and, and gross revenue, gross revenue, which you got to take home. How much? Well, we made about 150 grand. Yeah. Right. Or so, but I had to split that with a business partner. So I was making 50, 60 grand a year. Yeah. It was a little a bit lot. different of a business model than we have today. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing too is no one wanted to be a window cleaning technician. So I washed a lot of windows, even when I had employees. I mean, my shoulder still pops from my Mm. rotator cuff, that constant motion. Um, You know, it was a great experience. I learned how to lead people. Um, I ended up on the history channel because of it. I mean, you can find my window cleaning tutorials. I actually put together like how to window cleaning videos for my technicians. Uh So I didn't have to teach them one on one every single time I had turnover because there's a lot of turnover. They don't want to be there forever. Mm -hmm. But I ended up on the history channel because of it. I've got some YouTube videos with millions and millions of views from it. So why were you on the history channel? Yeah. So (laughs) the history channel basically did a documentary on how YouTube, you can learn everything and the phenomenon of YouTube. Got it. And they took one of my clips on how to wash windows and used it. <laughs> I was going to say, cause I don't think it's like a strong history of window cleaning. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you're trying to wholesale while you're running your full-time business and, and it was a struggle. 
right? Doing both was a struggle. Implementing the action steps was a struggle. Plus, what I was ha- your schedule like at that time? Uh, wake up, work, go to sleep. But I'm asking this because there are people that are listening that are either working a nine to five, yeah, or maybe they have multiple hustles. So what were they doing? Well, what were you, what, what was your schedule like as far as waking up? How much is dedicated to the window cleaning business and so on? Yeah, so I'd I'd wake up and um, I would go and get the technicians off to to work, and you know when I was just doing the window cleaning, I would work till about three or four with the technicians and everything else, and then I would go do door to door sales myself and work with the door to door sales employees that I had if I had any at that time. And so, or service leads that had come in and, and closed those. So I, a lot of times I'd work till seven or eight o'clock at night. That was just a normal thing for me. That's what I had to do. I built a half a million dollar business with pretty much all my own door to door sales. Mm-hmm. And when I wanted to do this real estate thing, I found myself not having time. I was doing both of them horribly. And so it normally goes, by the way, for you guys listening, when you have two hustles, yeah, that's what happens. It it became an issue. And, you know, I had a business partner that I had brought in. We had different visions and, you know, I spent way more time in the business than he did. And it was, it was kind of an issue. And so I actually went to him on my birthday, March 2nd, 2017. I sat down with him at lunch and I said, I quit. I said, I'm going to do real estate wholesaling and I'm Mm going to, I'm going to make a lot of money. March. So this is two months after, or one month after you signed up for one wholesaling. And yeah, because coaching. I wasn't, I wasn't doing the work. Yeah. Not, not like I wanted to. Yeah, I was doing the work. I found time. But I know, I, but I'm just thinking like the, as far as time frame goes, about a month after you signed up for the course. Yeah. <laughs> a month after I said, okay, I can't do both. Yeah. It's not working. And All I right, want. So you realize quickly and you burned the boats. Yep. I burned the boats. So I went to my business partner. I said, I quit. I said, if there's, if there's profits, great. If there's not, okay, I would love for you to buy the company from me, completely cash me out. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this anymore. And how'd that conversation go? He told me I was crazy. <laughs> he told me, you've never wholesaled a deal. It's just a scam. You won't be successful, basically. Things that are people that we train and teach often here. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's you know, the outside world that doesn't exist, right? Because they've never done it. So he's trying to talk you out of it. As a friend or as a business partner? Both. Okay. Both. But you're is still, you, was an amicable separation after that? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, he ended up cashing me out, and which was nice. But at the time, I only had a couple months till I'd go broke. Mm-hmm. I had a couple months. That's it. And most of my marketing was going on credit cards. I mean, broke meaning I couldn't pay my mortgage with the cash that I had saved up. Mm-hmm. So I was nervous. I was afraid, but I believed in Tom and Cody and I believed in the program. I, I believed that they had the outline and the steps and I was going to make it happen or I was yeah. going to fail. Well, <laughs> either way. Either way I was going for it. So how long until your first deal that way? April. April 17th or 16th. So just a month. Just a month later I did my first deal and I made 10 grand. Mm-hmm. Right. My coaching program was nine grand with them. And I had a bunch of money on credit cards and I had, you know, I wasn't profitable, but it was proof of concept. Right. But within the end of that fiscal year, so about eight months, I did a, around $113,000 in wholesale fees mm-hmm. and I was profitable and I had made more money from wholesaling that year than I was going to make from window cleaning. So let's talk about that very first deal. What actions did you take? to source that first deal. Yeah. So I I did exactly what my coaches told me. 
right? That was the, that was the greatest part. Mm -hmm. A good coach will say, do this and don't question me, just implement. So I did what they told me to do. So I bought a list from a company called list source, right? So at the time, um, you know, that was great. A lot of people now use PropStream. It's similar to PropStream, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't know what ListSource is, you know, the audience, I know you know what it is. Um, and so I bought this list and it was a, a list of potential sellers. It's, it's just homeowners that might want to sell their property. It's, they have high equity. And so I followed the filters that they gave me. I pulled this list and I started sending postcards. Mm -hmm. I got a call from a seller that lived out of state and his business partner also lived out of state and they didn't want to deal with it. They had owned over a hundred rental properties together and it was their business partnership had gone sour and it was their last rental property said, Hey, I know I'm giving it to you to deal, but I don't even care anymore. It's our mm -hmm. last one. So yeah. I was like, okay, this sounds right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he says, we'll sell it to you for 80,000. I said, okay, I knew nothing. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, let's do it. So I signed the contract. I had to figure out DocuSign. We signed the contract and I had done what my coaches had told me, which is build your cash buyers list first. Mm -hmm. I had found a guy at an auction and he had a 1031 tax exchange. He would as it was a motivated buyer because he needed to move money for tax purposes. If I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have found a buyer. Every other buyer said I'm 20, 30 grand too high, but I had a motivated buyer, just like a motivated seller, And I made 10 grand. He was the only person interested, but I made 10 grand on the deal. That's awesome. Um, so you said something about you did exactly what the coaches told you to do or your coach told you to do. Yep. So there's something, you know, to be said for actually following instructions as given. So I've coached so many people in my career. I'm not trying to brag here. I'm just, this has been my experience sure. as a mentor. And there are people that will follow and do exactly what you tell them to do. They'll execute it have massive success, come back and tell you, hey, I did what you told me to do. It worked and I made this much money. Thank you. Yep. Right? My favorite people the mentor. Then you got like the other 95% who will question you, challenge you, or re-engineer it somewhere from when you said it until they hit their ears and from their ears <laughs> execution, either don't do it or they re-engineer it. 100%. How did you resist not reinventing the wheel. I trusted Cody and Tom. Got trusted it. them. Um, well, it makes sense because you quit your business. I, <laughs> I, believed, I believed in them. So, you know, I, I, I'm a coach as well. Mm -hmm. And that same issue that you mentioned is an issue that I found. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to reinvent. They wanted to do a hybrid of what I say and what someone else says. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help them become successful because they wouldn't follow through. Yeah. So... You know, I, that's why I did the 40 day challenge is I needed my students to trust me and believe in me and my, and, and trust the process that I gave them as much as I trusted Tom and Cody, mm -hmm. because I knew if they would do that, they would follow the action steps. They would do the work. They would do the hard things. They would invest the money into marketing that I asked them to, right? And if they would do that, then they would be successful, right? And so I, I needed to give them something that they could trust and believe and see that it was real. Right. And Tom and Cody gave that to me. Cody was in my market. I mm. saw him doing oh, deals, yeah. right. I knew that he was making money. I knew of his reputation. And then I also saw the success of their students on their podcasts and so forth. I guess that makes sense. Seeing Cody in your backyard definitely gave you proof of concept. hundred percent. Is that 
ability to follow instructions. I mean, I'm not saying you have to follow instructions perfectly forever, right? I mean, that's something that, you know, going back to my poker background, um, I learned how to play poker the right way. And after I learned how to play poker the right way, now you can add creativity to it. But most people want to have fun and mm. variance and this and that, and they'll never do it the right way so they can never build a foundation. Yep. Is this something with you where you naturally want to learn to do things the right way, maybe something you learned from your dad, and then add your flavor? Or is that something you did because you had so much faith in Tom and Cody? Oh, I did it because of the faith. So I think entrepreneurs, we're pretty creative. Yes, we are. Right? We like to hustle. We like the challenge. We like the, the new thing, the excitement of the deal as much as the money. Mm-hmm. And so, no, it's not my natural tendency to follow directions. Just ask any of my teachers. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's a horrible student, horrible student. Yeah. Um, but yes, my, my belief in them. So, so Tony Robbins, I think teaches it better than I could. He talks about the cycle of success. Mm-hmm. He talks about that success doesn't come from action. Success comes from a massive belief, faith in, in the process, but you can't have a massive belief in something unless you've already experienced or tasted mm-hmm. Right. But if you start off with a massive belief and massive amount of faith, you're going to give a massive amount of action. You give a massive amount of action. Well, you're going to get desirable results. If you get desirable results, you'll be like, see, I knew. And you're going to spiral upwards in the world. And the opposite is true as well. If you start with a lack of belief and you give a half hearted effort, you're going to get, you know, undesirable results. results. Yeah. Yeah, and then you're going to spiral downwards. You'd be like, see, I knew everyone was right. It is a scam. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's and a vicious cycle either way. Or it's a cycle either way. Either positive exactly. or vicious. I, I, I learned a new term very recently. Uh, the, the, what was it? The doom? Wow. Gloom, doom. Dang it. Just heard it recently. I'm, I'm, I'm checking out this new book about uh, um, mimetic desires, right? So, mm. Anyway, sidetrack. So um, you went and executed the system. And you learned a lot of this and you had a more profitable year wholesaling in your very first incomplete year yeah. than you would have washing windows. Sure. But then you did something different or you pivoted. Yes, I pivoted from there. So what was the pivot? Pivot was um, very beginning of 2018. The first two months I didn't get a deal. Mm-hmm. So leads had dried up. It's my only source of revenue. I have a family depending on me. And what had happened is I had found success in some of the lists that Tom and Cody suggested me to use. But some of those lists were now public records on a statewide website. It was easier to get access to it. So now everyone's investing to the same lists that I was making money off of. Got it. So this list was a little bit more proprietary and then became public records. Exactly. Got it. So I found a niche, a way to go and get it from individual cities, but now it's on a state website, super easy to access. You could access it every week. Mm-hmm. A VA could pull it for these marketing companies. So now these awesome giant companies like Cody and Mark, right? Mm-hmm. Co- Cody's business in Utah, they have tens of thousands of dollars to spend each week. And I didn't. Right. And so I was getting crushed. I, I was struggling and I was like, okay, I need something that can put leads in my business. So I started researching. What is something that I can control and own that no one else will have? Mm-hmm. What's a list that I can scale and grow as my marketing budget scales and grows? And the only thing that I could find was driving for dollars. Well, hang on before we get to driving for dollars. So you had to pivot. This is around the time that you, you combined forces with Cody. 
Well, the, the only reason I, I joined forces with Cody was mm-hmm. I wanted, uh, my, my uncle always told me in a Cajun accent, he would joke around and he'd say, you got to earn and learn young man. Yeah. You got to earn and learn, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well I'm going to go, you know, Cody and Mark, they had posted, they were looking for an acquisition manager. And Mark is? Mark is Cody Hoffine's business partner what, in the wholesaling business name? in Utah. Mark Stubler. Okay, so I'm, at, I'm I'm bringing this up because for you guys, you guys, we have two episodes of Cody and one episode of Mark. So if you Mark Stubler's a stud. You guys want to go back and watch yeah. those episodes? You guys are welcome to. Okay, so yeah, anyway. Lo- love Mark Stubler, dude. Mark Stubler taught me about how to negotiate wholesale deals. Yeah, right? he's a he's a he's a hidden gem in the industry, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I went to Mark and Cody and I said, I would love to be your acquisition manager. I have proof of concept. I've closed deals. I can sell. I can hustle. And I committed to work for them for a year and they knew and understood that I was also going to be doing it on the side mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. They're like, fine, that's fine. Uh, after three months, they said, Zach, we love you. We want you full time. We want you to shut off your own business and work for us full time. What would you say? I was like, well, that wasn't part of the agreement. And they're mm-hmm. saying, well, what if we changed our mind and said, you don't have to give us a year, but you have to either stay with us or do your own thing. I say, well, then I'd quit. Yeah. And I had to quit. So, but yeah, I took that position. Well, I'm bringing that up because I mean, uh, Cody said like, you know, you were an incredible closer. So I just... In a different well, conversation. Well, so. that's an awesome compliment. I didn't yeah. know he said that. Yeah. So anyway, continuing on. Yeah. So so I took that that position to learn, um, but at that same time frame, I wanted to uh, generate more leads, and I needed a lead source that that would work. And so I pivoted to start trying to do driving for dollars. You know, this was before Deal Machine. This was before most of the apps. The only app that was really available at that time was an app called Driving for Dollars, actually. And Wait, I did. I, Tucker Merrihue, another yep. guy that was on the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, perfect. But I didn't know about it at the time. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I started adding addresses by driving around and writing down the addresses and pulling up the information on county records. And I built a list of about 70 properties and did a did a deal. Okay. So I was like, okay, that's a sexy list. 70 properties do a deal. Like, But you were manually writing manually. every single one out. So Got that it. took me days, guys. That wasn't like uh, an hour of work like it is now with mm-hmm. the tech. So I was like, okay, let's do more of this. I recruited a bunch of people to build these lists and I paid 20% of each deal to build these lists. And, um, we went to work six months in, we then discovered the driving for dollars app where you could add properties with the click of a button instead of looking it up on County records. (laughs) It's like, this is game changing. But by the end of that year, we did just shy of a half a million dollars in revenue in gross revenue. And my profit margins were about 25, 30%. Yeah, so way more. Way more. Than the previous year. Yeah, so I completely blew my window. I built my window cleaning business for a decade, Steve. Mm -hmm. A decade. And two years into wholesaling, I was making way more money with with real estate wholesaling. And less overhead. And way less overhead. I didn't even have a team. It was me and one other person. Yeah. All right, so half a million. That was in 2018? This was in 2018. Okay. So then what was next year like? So what happened is that's when everything really started to get fun, right? This is where my, my journey changed a lot. So at the end of that year, I was pinching myself for the success that we'd had off the driving for dollars marketing that mm-hmm. we had put in place. And I had started building a team and, and I was just so grateful. I was able to provide a life for my family that I'd always dreamed of. Like I get emotional just thinking about it yeah. um, because because I felt like I was failing for so long and I was working so hard and giving it all I had. And I felt like I couldn't even cover the main bills for my family. Like it upsets me still to this day because it, it shouldn't have been that way. 
And I'm so grateful for Tom and Cody and for wonderful people like yourself and for, for people that showed me that there was a better way. So at the end of that year, I did a self-help journal. I got invited to do it with a friend. It's called Living Your Best Year Ever by Darren Hardy. In there, you create three large goals. One of those goals is I wanted to generate a million dollars the next year. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how. I was pinching myself that I had done a half a million. Mm -hmm. But in there, it, it taught a concept. It said, you have to give away whatever you want to receive. So I was like, okay, well, I got to give away a million bucks then, mm -hmm. according to this. How do I do that? I've, I've never even made that much. I, I don't have that much. That's for dang sure. How do I give it away? Yeah. And the, the idea came, well, why don't I bring on 10 people, teach the marketing system that I've now put in place? You know, we've, we went in and built tech and like, it was a pretty cool system, right? To be able to do that kind of revenue. I didn't think it could make me more, but I was like, well, if I teach this to 10 people, you know, I can easily put a hundred grand in each of their businesses. Boom. Yeah. Right. Mission accomplished. Had no intentions of being a coach, no intentions of having a YouTube channel and a podcast and everything like I do now. It was all about helping others. Mm -hmm. So I went to Tom Kroll and I said, Tom, brother, I want to do this. I want to put a million dollars in other people's pockets. Will you help me find some students and kind of coach me on how to coach these people and change their lives like you changed mine? Mm -hmm. He's like, heck yes, I will. Right. That's right. how Tom is. And, yeah. um, and so I brought on 10 students and uh, it was life changing. Because the more I taught them, the more I realized how stupid I was. <laughs> That's the truth, right? <laughs> right? The, the, more better, like, the more you teach, the less you know, or the more you realize you don't have it as figured out as you thought you did. Exactly. Dude, like, I'm going to tell you one, one mistake I was making. I had a student come to me like, Zach, on our tracking phone numbers that we put on our postcards, how do we know, or how do we set it up where our, our text, the people that text that number, that it goes to our CRM? And we, it's like, I've never received a text message. <laughs> I had hundreds of leads that had gone to the garbage because I wasn't even receiving text messages oh. into my CRM. <laughs> I mean, I was a mess, Steve. Yeah. I was a mess. And so the more I taught, the more I learned, the more questions that I said, I don't know, I'm going to have to get you an answer. Mm -hmm. And then it forced me to get more mentors and to pay for a lot of mentorship to make me a better coach and to make me a better investor to help others. Yeah. And at the end of that year, we had done like 1.2 million. That's fantastic. At the end of that year. So that was incredible. But what was more wonderful and fulfilling to me than the, than the million dollars that I made was the money that I put in my students' pockets. Mm -hmm. The life-changing success that they were having from what I taught them and the fulfillment that I got from it. Yeah. And um, it made me become a coach. It made me want to become a coach and to, to do this for more people and to teach more people how to become successful. And so, you know, you asked me about what happened in the next year. That's what happened. It forced me to walk away from revenue. My wholesaling business dropped. I only made 700000 the next year mm -hmm. because all of my efforts then went into building and automating my wholesaling business. So it would keep paying my bills so I could go be a coach and yeah. make way less money. And so that's kind of been my focus for the last handful of years. Now I have an automated wholesaling business. It's, it's now making over a million a year again. But, you know, my focus is my students. That's where I spend my time. So a moment ago, you were talking about how you went um, and we reflected back and, you know, you were so grateful that you had to you're able to support your family because there were many years where you felt like you're pouring on the hours. Imagine particularly in the window cleaning business yep. where they weren't getting the kind of results you felt like they were worthy of getting. 100 percent. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't really talk about, you know, because I know I went through that. Uh, something I've shared before was like, you know, being a realtor from 2007 mm. to 2011, 
I mean, there were years where the D word was thrown around, right? I mean, it's a lot of stress. Um, a, being an entrepreneur, the pressure of being an entrepreneur to supporting a family, but also the person that's married to that entrepreneur has to go through <laughs> that roller coaster too. And they may not have necessarily enrolled in it. They're just being supportive. Yep. So anything you want to share some insights for people to just be prepared, like I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying just things to be prepared for, for someone that is thinking about getting the wholesaling with a wife, with kids. Yeah. I, I think that whatever entrepreneurial journey you take, it's never going to be as easy as you want it to be. It's going to suck, mm -hmm. right? It's really hard. And um, I'm not going to give marital advice, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I will, I will give a shout out to my wife. Yeah. Um, I remember the day that our son was born. It was the most beautiful moment of my life. And I remember thinking, how am I going to pay these medical bills? And still, she let me invest into coaching. I paid 10 grand for my first coach was a complete bust, mostly mm. on credit cards. I remember, I remember when we were first married, we fought over a $20 DVD player that she purchased because we were that broke. And I wanted to spend 10 grand on a coaching program. Yeah. I told her I was going to drop out of college to become an entrepreneur. She said, okay, I believe in you. Mm -hmm. I think that if you are the spouse listening to this that has hesitations in your, and your significant other wants to go for it, the best thing that you can do for that person is say, I believe in you because now they not only have the pressure to be successful, but they now have the pressure to prove you right. Mm -hmm. That's way more powerful than saying, no, I don't believe that's possible. It's a scam or I don't believe in you. Right. That's just going to crush the spirit of, of, of who that person is that you're married to. You know, if you are the person that's wanting to ask permission to, to go for it, to invest into marketing, to invest into a coach, right? The best thing that you can do is explain what you're trying to accomplish, show the potential results, show the success stories and say, that's what I would like to give you. Right. I, I understand that if, if you're anything like me, the reason you wanted to be successful was because you wanted to give. You wanted to give to your children. You wanted to give to your spouse, mm -hmm. right? You wanted to give a better life than you're currently giving. And I think that if that is expressed, it's a lot easier to find support from your significant other. Um, but, but I will say my wife's pretty freaking amazing. Yes, definitely. Right. Yeah, and, I, and I, and I, and I get that there were struggles, but I would not be here without the support of my wife. And I think the yeah. other thing too, is I had a chance, right. To go to an event many, many years ago. And I watched all the people that were on the main stage. And one thing I noticed that they all brought their wives, right? And they were all married still to their first wife. It's for one guy who was on his second wife was only because his first wife had passed away. Mm. And there was, for me, the lesson there was that you have to have a, a wife. It has to be on the same team. And basically, you know, if you've got a non-supportive spouse, it's going to be really hard to fight the war <laughs> in the office for the business and then fight a war when you get home with your family. Yeah. You can't fight a two front war. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, it's funny. Pace, Pace Morby. I'm sure you've had him on the show a gazillion yeah, a times. times. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone loves Pace. So Pace down here in Phoenix. And I got an opportunity to go on a, a, a kind of an excursion in Florida with Tom and, and Pace and Cody. And Pace actually suggested a book on marriage to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was expressing some struggles and, and some things that kind of along these lines of 
how do we keep our spouses happy when we're trying to change the world mm-hmm. and, and be a coach and, and create all this content? Because I don't know anybody that puts out at more than Pace. Pace is a nut, right? Like, he's insane. He's, in, he's a nutcase. Yeah. So that's why I asked him that. <laughs> and so he gave me a book. It's, it's um, called How to Improve Your Marriage Without Talking About It. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually a life-changing book. And it was actually an amazing book, not just for my relationship, but the way I communicate, especially with women. Um, and uh, it was good for me. It was good for me, not, not only just for communicating with my spouse, but also uh, how to communicate with, with women in the workplace and how to communicate with my, my women students. Mm-hmm. And um, we process information a little bit differently, but we all want the same things. Right. And so it was, a, it was a really, really good book. Yeah. It's a very eye opening book. I, rem- I remember reading it many, many years ago around that same time. Yeah. Um, it's a, a very powerful book. All right. So we're talking about, you know, a million dollars driving for dollars. So um, let's say, cause I don't do driving for dollars. Let's say I'm brand new and I want to start driving for dollars. Yep. What's the first thing I do? Uh, I'd watch the 40 day challenge. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I wanted to like give an over the shoulder look. Remember mm-hmm. I was talking about how like, I had so much belief and faith in, in Tom and Cody because I got to see Cody doing deals in my market. I got to see what it was like, what it took. And so I wanted to give that gift to others. Mm-hmm. So I went out and did a 40-day challenge. I took a 1000 bucks. I flew to somewhere I'd never been. Mm-hmm. I went to Tampa. And the only reason I picked Tampa is it's warm in the winter. Right? It was like the criteria, right? Mm-hmm. It's not because Tampa's better. This works everywhere. So I went to Tampa with a thousand bucks. I had a smartphone and a car and my goal is to turn it into 40 grand in 40 days. Figured it was probably about two deals to do that. Um, so that's free content that people can watch. So it's a good, it's a good way to see the action steps and the type of work that goes in starting with completely scratch. Mm-hmm. Someone like you, it's a little different. You have an established team an established business. So my approach would be a little different. Well, but let's just pretend I'm like okay. brand new. Like I just Perfect. quit my job or I just graduated college or dropped out of college <laughs> and I want to start driving for dollars. Perfect. See, that's the, that's the first thing I do. I just watch that challenge mm-hmm. because it's going to show you what the hustle looks like on a bootstrap, tight budget, trying to get a deal within the next 40 days. Exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Right. And that's free content. The other thing that I would suggest is finding a guide, finding a mentor, because you're going to produce leads and you're not going to know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest issue I see with students is they'll produce solid leads, but they don't know what they're doing. So they don't turn it into money and they're throwing away 20, 30 grand because they don't know how to talk to the seller or they don't have someone to bring the deal to, to help them. So the most common mistake is someone would start driving for dollars, pull the, not pull the list, but take pictures of properties, document it. And when we say procure leads, we're talking about like where they actually mailed them or is like, here are the addresses. I'm, I'm saying they, they, they produce the list, right? I don't take pictures of the house. Here's a gold nugget. I think it's a waste of money. Mm-hmm. It's a waste of time. I add anywhere between 50 to a hundred properties per hour. You cannot do that if you're taking a picture of every house. So volume is more important. Volume than- is 10 times more important. Any physical signs of neglect. The reason driving for dollars is the best list that exists is because the reason people sell their house at a discount is because the property is a thorn in their side. I don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. If the property is a thorn in their side. They're not going to take care of general maintenance. It's a thorn in their side. Right. So when you drive through the neighborhood, you're like thorn in the side, thorn in the side, thorn in the side. You just, you see it. Mm-hmm. You add those to your marketing list. So it's going to be the highest probability properties to sell at a discount in your market. There's no 
quality houses in that list, period. Yeah. Right? So there's no money going away for no reason, right? So if you have a tight budget, that's very important. The other, the other thing that we use is we use an app called Deal Machine, right? So I started with Driving for Dollars. Deal Machine is, is my app now. I freaking love them. Um, I've been working with them since 2018. Uh, Tom and, and Cody were able to introduce me to mm-hmm. David Lecco when they were kind of starting up. So we use, uh, when you start your drive, there's three ways you can add properties. The crosshairs mode, which is the take the picture, mm-hmm. the, the pin mode, where you t- touch the property on the Google Maps and then you have to approve it. That takes a little bit of time. My version that Deal Machine put together for me is the tap to add. So you touch the house and boom, it uploads it to your Excel spreadsheet. So you can drive through the neighborhood, house, touch, house, touch, house, touch. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be able to add 50 to 100 properties in every single hour of driving. And that's not in war zones. A lot of people think that's crazy, but it's any physical science and neglect, peeling paint, dead lawns, those kinds of things. And so you'll see in the 40 day challenge, that's how I start. I start building that list. Then once you build that list, that Excel spreadsheet, you can export it out of Deal Machine or use Deal Machine to do the marketing. And so you can, there's three things that we do. We do texting, we do cold calling, and we do postcards. My most profitable and the easiest one to duplicate is postcards. By far my most profitable. I spend nine cents to make a dollar on postcards to my driving for dollars list. Ninety. Uh, 1% profit margin. It's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It is incredible. Yeah. It's, that's a huge margin to pay a team and keep a big chunk for myself, right? right? So um, on the 40-day challenge, though, I didn't use postcards. I didn't have time to wait. Mm. I had to hustle. I had to work fast. I had to get people on the phone yesterday, not tomorrow, right? And mm-hmm. so I did cold calling, which is a very profitable way in a way that it works. Um, but it doesn't necessarily matter what you use, just as long as you build that list and reach out to those people. So that would be the thing that I would suggest is, is, is that right there. So you mentioned that the seller, not the sellers, your students are pulling lists, leads, uh, but they don't know what to do with it. So what is, what is the typical challenge when they say they don't know what to do with the list? Yeah, so it's not necessarily they don't know what to do with the list, right? Let's say you build the list with driving for dollars and you send a postcard. Well, let's say someone calls you and say, yeah, I'd like to sell my house. It's like, okay, now what do you say? Yeah. Right? Yes, you can pull scripts and you can learn and figure out that you're trying to find if they're, they're, they're motivated. Okay, well, let's say they are motivated. Mm-hmm. Now what do you do? Well, okay, well, why are they motivated? Well, there's fire damage. Well, how do you, how do you deal with fire damage? Well, you don't know. Right. Right. And then, oh, well, maybe there's litigation because it's an inherited property and the crackhead brother's living in the house and suing the other siblings because there's a deathbed will and there's other situations. Right. So one of the things that I have found with my students that are successful is they go through and they implement those action steps. They get sellers that want to sell on the phone and they find that there's issues. And one thing that that you have to get good at is learning how to solve problems that Mm -hmm. are new problems to you. Yeah. So it has fire damage. Okay, well, how do you wholesale a fire damaged property? Now you have to figure that out. But a lot of times, the time that it takes you to figure it out on your own, it's going to cost you the deal. Mm-hmm. You'll get the next one, but not this one. And that sucks when there's 30 grand on the line. Right. Right. One of the biggest benefits that I got of having a coach is, like, hey, I got an eightplex under contract. True story. First deal I had under contract. How the hell do I evaluate an eight, th- eight unit property? I don't know what I'm doing. Right. I'm, I'm a window washer. Yeah. And, and so I was able to figure out how to evaluate it. I found I was under contract to 10 grand too high. 
Um, but I was able to learn that. And if I'd have had a buyer in place, I would have made money mm-hmm. without a coach. I wouldn't have made money or I wouldn't have known what to do. I wouldn't have even known I was 10 grand too high. I would have had no idea what I was doing, period. Yeah. And it's interesting, right? Because there's two different groups of people. And I think maybe one involves in the other, maybe not. So I remember when I very first started, I was too smart to have a coach, too arrogant, too wasn't aware of my shortcomings, mm. right? I was like, oh, what do I need a coach for? I'd rather go learn on my own, and if I lose money on the deal, that's I would have lost anyway on the coach, right? And then eventually, potentially, you mature, you realize, oh, coaches save money and have a very strong ROI, mm. right? So what would you tell a person? I mean, you kind of did, but like, um, you know, Zach, I don't have five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars to invest in a coach. What do you tell that guy? Go find another hustle. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So I have a I have a kid in my office that he picks up free furniture off Craigslist mm-hmm. and turns around and resells it on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. He makes anywhere between five and ten thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Doing it. Right. If you, like I tell people all this t- all the time, if you do not have the ability to hustle and make five grand to use, you do not have the skill set and determination to do real estate wholesaling. You don't. Yeah. You really don't. If you can't come up with $5,000 to get a coach to teach you how to make hundreds, if not millions of dollars, you will not be successful in real estate wholesaling, so you shouldn't try. Um, so you mentioned Darren Hardy earlier. So I heard him use this example. And it's interesting, right? It's like, all right, Zach, hey, I found this gold mine, right? We're going we're gonna to go back to Utah here. Hey, found this gold mine. It's right by Snow Basin. Okay. Right. And I need to go, uh, all, all we need to do is go get some um, wheelbarrows mm-hmm. and maybe some pick shovels or picks and shovels, whatever. Right. And then you look at me, it's like, but Steve, picks and shovels, wheelbarrows, I mean, that's going to cost like $80 for everything. No, it's not worth it. Yep. And that's how he looks at people that say, oh, coaching is a waste of money. It's like, there's this gold mine over here, but you don't want to invest in the wheelbarrow, picks and shovels. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I think a, a big part of it, too, is people are afraid of getting burned. Mm-hmm. People are afraid Which of- Which is a very natural and understandable. And fear. it is very reasonable. Yeah. I told people here on this podcast- Paid ten grand for my first coach, and it was a big fat waste of money. Yeah. Paid nine grand for my second coach, life changing. Mm-hmm. Tom and Cody, to the day I die, I will sing praises to mm-hmm. them from the rooftops. They've changed my life, right? And they're allowing me to change other people's lives. If it wasn't for them, many many lives would not be touched and blessed, mm-hmm. right? And so, let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what's a good coach and what's a bad coach. Great point. Go, let's go. So my big thing is if a coach is selling you information, run. They brag about how many hours of video, run. It's not about what they know. It's about the action steps that they'll give you and what you'll be able to accomplish within a certain amount of time if you follow the action steps. The coach's responsibility is to give you an outline, a step, and your results that you should expect. Right. And if a coach is not capable of getting you results, you shouldn't hire them. Yeah. Right. So these are the filters that I use. I still have coaches. I still hire coaches all the time. I'm still paying for a one on one coach. I pay 50 grand for my one on one coach for six months and I get two 45 minute calls a month. And then I still give them 10 percent of my net profits. 
right now for yeah. those six months. So it's a ton of money, right? But but guess, like you said, it's an investment. I'm going to get 10 times more because mm -hmm. I'm learning and growing. So these are the filters that I use when I'm going to invest money into a coach. The first thing is I look at, are they doing or have they accomplished exactly what I'm trying to accomplish, right? Mm -hmm. And the next thing, are they helping and, and uh, teaching others to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish because doing it and teaching it is two different things, right? Right. Having the heart of a teacher and the capacity to teach something in a way that I can comprehend and implement is a lot different in doing it themselves. Mm -hmm. And then the third is, do I like and trust a person? Yeah. Right. Do our core values align? Because I don't ever want to be good get put in a situation that if I'm supposed to accomplish something, they're asking me to do something against my moral code. Right. Right. So yes, I might be able to accomplish the goal, but they're going to have me get there in a way that I'm not okay with. So if, if you watch their content, if you see their stuff and it kind of puts a bad taste in your mouth, find someone else. Right. Absolutely. So that's my, my filter of three. Well, I, I think you did a really good job of kind of like simplifying it because yeah. I have coaches that I hire that fit that criteria, but I wasn't articulating it that way. I just know myself, if I didn't have a coach that fit those criteria, I wouldn't <laughs> listen to them. Yeah, That's just me personally, right? Like we had Gary Harper come out, did a consultation for us, and I brought him out, even though there's no shortage of business coaches out there. But I brought him out because he's got the track record, he knows, knows what he's talking about, he's doing the business, and um, can teach the business, yep. and we resonate. So yep. I think that's a great, Great criteria. Uh, all right. So on YouTube, uh, Nathan Conant is asking, are there any other creative ideas for finding motivated buyers? Just like you mentioned earlier with the auction idea. Um, yes, 100%. So on the 40-day challenge, not only did I have to get the leads and the sellers, right, to make the 40 grand, which I did. I blew that goal completely out of the water. But I had to find buyers to buy the wholesale deals. Got it. So in the same time frame of 40 days, I have to build a buyer's list. I built a buyer's list of 11,000 buyers while I was there, and I used one strategy, and it was free. So what I did is I called all the wholesalers in the area, and I said, hey, do you want to grow your cash buyer's list? What is their answer? Yes. Their answer is yes, because if they grow their cash buyers, they know that means they're going to get more per deal, they're going to make more money, they're going to move deals they wouldn't otherwise move. It's just more money for them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd love to grow my cash buyers list. So okay, great. I'm doing a trade. Um, would you be willing to trade your cash buyers list to get much, much more than you're going to give? And they say, yes. How many do you have? It's like, well, um, I'm putting that together now. I do not have an official number yet, but how many do you have? Oh, I have 3,000. Okay, I'll count you in at 3,000. I'll come back to you when I have more than, much more than 3,000 for you. Fair? And be like, great. So I'd be yeah. like, okay, I got Bob the wholesaler on board with 3,000. I go to Steve the, you know, the wholesaler a, a mile south, and I'd be like, hey, Steve, trading cash buyers list, you want to increase your cash buyers list. Basically, what I did is I got five wholesalers to trade their cash buyers list. I put the cash buyers list together, got rid of the duplicates, and sent this new and improved cash buyers list to everyone. And guess what? I got to keep it as well. Yeah. So I, I brokered a trade of cash buyers um, in, in Tampa. And that's, that's how I was doing it. Yeah. So that's not, that's beyond creative. So very impressive. Uh, Real Estate Jake on Instagram. Uh, what was the name of that journal again? Uh, it's uh, Living Your Best Year Ever. I think it's Darren Hardy. Darren Hardy. Yep. yep. Uh, and uh, yeah, Jake was just on the show. Uh, Francisco on YouTube. What are the KPIs for you on direct mail? On direct mail, um, should I pull up my exact KPIs? Uh, ballpark. Ballpark. Um, I sent about 140,000 postcards in 2021. 
Um, and I generated about 400 and something thousand dollars. There you go. And how many times do you see yourself mailing the same list? Um, if, if you guys are going to do driving for dollars and just do postcards, um, what I would suggest is three total postcards every other month and then redrive that area every six months and refresh your list. Right. You want to hit those houses when they're depressed, when they have couches on the front lawn, when they're bad. So we redrive our market every six months. Right. We add over 2000 properties every single week to our marketing list Mm -hmm. and we redrive it every six months. So my students get my advanced marketing, which is we do texting, cold calling immediately who we can't get a hold of. Then we send postcards. We send two rounds. So that's how that's my exact marketing is structured. Got it. Simple enough. Yep. Simple enough, duplicatable. Um, and mm-hmm. then uh, I forgot to say earlier, you were talking about you got that student that was flipping couches. So Ryan Panito <laughs> made flipping couches a, a, a uh, was it a reputable side hustle. <laughs> uh, all right. So on YouTube again, uh, for mailers that return and they don't pick up the cold call or SMS, what do you do with those leads? The ones that don't answer to text, cold calling or postcards? Mm-hmm. Well, we redrive that area in six months. If it's still depressed, we just keep on marketing. Got it. You guys ever knock on the doors? So sometimes. So we have a a list that um, it's the worst of the worst houses. Mm-hmm. So I break up my driving for dollars list into four different campaigns because I want to track them and the results for each for all three outreach strategies. So I break down the driving for dollars list into absentee owner, owner occupied, corporate, and then the worst of the worst properties. And I do that because I had students to say, Zach, does it make sense to market to owner occupied? Mm-hmm. Does it make sense to, uh, to send texting to the corporate owned? Right. So I was like, well, if I didn't have KPIs, I couldn't say yay or nay. Right. So this is one of those examples of being a coach has made me a better investor. So I broke it down in those lists with our, we, we have tested door knocking and we have found that it's not an efficient or profitable. We spend more money per hour on our door knockers than we do on the returns that we make off a of door knocking. It's more efficient to do it the way we do it. So we've tested it. We just don't really do it anymore. The only times that we will continue to do it is uh, the worst of the worst houses, the absentee owner, worst of the worst. If we can't get a hold of them. Those are the ones we'll door knock the neighbors. Got it. Yeah. And it, I only ask this because you got that door knocking business that you built up <laughs> washing windows. Oh, I've made money off door knocking. Don't get me wrong with wholesaling. Yeah. I've done a few door knocking deals. Yeah. Uh, Abraham on YouTube, how do you determine when you're going to drive? Where are you going to drive? Sorry. How do you determine where are you going to drive? Perfect. So I have some great YouTube videos on that, um, on my channel. Uh, definitely, definitely check that out. But the, the big thing is, is the simplest way that I can, I can explain to people is Google median house price and then your city. Right. And you're going to get that number. A lot of times Zillow will tell you what your median house price is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll go to, to Zillow uh, or Redfin. It doesn't really matter. And look up properties for sale or sold. And, and you get those little blocks, you know, those little clumps of houses. And you'll be able to see the rough values of those houses by the numbers that they're listed for sale or the solds. And then I want you to drive those areas that are median house price to cheaper. That's the easiest way. And then you just identify those areas and block that off as your map as areas you should drive. Perfect. And then on Facebook, uh, Manuel wants to know, how on, the, how on earth are you sending postcards for nine cents each? Nine cents? Mm-hmm. 
No, I didn't send them for nine cents. I'm sending them for 34 cents. 34 cents. Got it. Okay. So, um, and then on YouTube, Jeremy, how many driving for dollar properties do you need to turn into one deal? So that depends on your market, right? And there's, there's a lot of variations, right? Your ability to close. Um, but it's also a, uh, cost per deal kind of thing as well. Mm -hmm. So if you are in Indiana and your, your house price, median house price, or sorry, not median house price, but your lower end housing where you're doing most of your marketing, they're worth a hundred thousand fixed up. Well, it doesn't make sense to spend 20 grand on marketing because you're probably not going to get much more than a $10,000 assignment. Yeah. But if the house is worth a million dollars, you could probably spend $10,000 on marketing because your average deal is probably going to be somewhere around a hundred grand. So how many properties you have to add will increase if you're in a more inflated market like California, Phoenix, Utah, Colorado, um, and your coastal cities. But if you're in the Midwest, your, your amount of properties you have to add like Louisville, Kentucky or, or Cleveland, some of those areas, you're going to add way less properties per deal. So it, it really just depends on where you live. It's, it's hard to answer that one. Um, and then on Instagram, Jesus wants to know what is a recommended skip trace server? you might suggest uh for phone numbers we use batch skip tracing yeah and for us we use skip fast which is our white label of batch skip tracing um there you go and then uh use on, that one <laughs> uh and then uh facebook again manuel how should we structure compensation when starting a team to go driving for dollars so when i first started i did i did uh commissions right i said i did 20 percent commissions and so they they drive for dollars give you the address, you buy that house, they get 20% of the gross profit. Yep. That's what I started with. And in six months I overpaid by like 60 or 70 grand or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was a ridiculous amount. Um, and what, when I say overpaid, what we compensate now is $20 an hour. Plus we compensate gas if they hit their goals. And then on top of that, we pay them a hundred dollars per deal. So if I would have paid that compensation, Versus the 20%, I overpaid mm. by like 60, 70 grand in just a few months. Yeah. So paying hourly makes more sense because you get more consistency. Your business will die if you're not consistent with your marketing. And so when you're doing just straight commissions, you'll have people that'll come and go. They're, they're not fully committed. They'll do it whenever. Exactly. If they feel like it. Um, I'm not a believer in having a huge team of drivers and commissions and, and bird dogs. It hasn't worked for us. It's how we started. Uh, what's worked best for us is we hire one dedicated driver. That's what they do. I have one driver that drives three days a week. That's 2000 properties every single week to our mm -hmm. list. It doesn't take a giant team to build a million dollar wholesaling driving for dollars company. Got it. Uh, and then on Facebook, Robert is median prices based on how many number months of sales. I didn't understand the question. I guess when you're trying to figure out the median number, are you looking back one month, three months, six months? Really just over the last 12 months. It's not an exact science, right? You're trying to find the the middle to lower income neighborhoods. That's where you're trying to drive. Got it. And right? then on YouTube, Vasily wants to know what percentage of ARV is good to offer in the Sacramento market? <laughs> so the equation that I use is I do ARV. So that stands for after repair value, right? What it's worth fixed up times that by 0.92. 
Okay, so you guys can get a pen and paper, start writing this down. Times it by 0.92. What that's doing is getting rid of 8%. 8% is is what the flipper will have to have to pay a real estate agent to sell it, closing costs, hard money costs. So you get rid of 8%. Then you subtract what the rehab costs are going to be for the flipper. Then you subtract the profits that the flipper is going to want to make. That's going to be your break-even number. Mm-hmm. Right? And so the reason I use that equation, not just an exact percentage of ARV, is because depending on your market, that equation, a percentage of ARV, is not going to be 100% accurate where this is a lot more accurate across the board nationwide, right? So um, that's the equation. Once you get your break-even number, you got to negotiate it below that for your wholesale fee. Got it. So what keeps you going? What What is your why? Hmm. For the longest time, it was to provide a life for my family that I wanted to. And when I hit that is kind of the same time that I discovered coaching. Mm-hmm. And the first, the first deal that I did, the first deal that I did, it was this, aha, I figured it out. And the second deal was like, okay, I'm going to do this over and over. This is the greatest thing ever. Third deal was a lot of work and I don't remember the fourth deal. Right. And it became a grind and it became, I didn't want to go meet with sellers and it was a lot of work. And then I put a team in place and I have all this passive income because of my company, right? Your business can be passive. Wholesaling can be passive. It's passive income. I don't go on appointments. I spend a couple hours a week looking at my numbers. That's it. But the fulfillment was kind of gone. The, that euphoric, emotional, I'm taking care of my family started to fade. And when I started coaching other people and helping people get their first deal or their second deal or put a system in place to get a lot of deals consistently... Right. When I help them accomplish those goals, it's like I get the same feeling that I got when I got my first one. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a weird thing that us humans have. Right. They talk about it. They call it the helper's high, you know, the heart of a teacher. I've heard it called a lot of different things. But I find so much fulfillment and purpose um, in doing stuff like this, being on your amazing show and, you know, creating cool content, doing the 40 day challenge for people to watch and being a coach. You know, I do it because I get the selfish feeling of I have a purpose. Yeah. Right. And it's actually meaningful. It's not just a selfish. Um, it's not only for you. Yeah. It's not just for me. Uh, what is your biggest struggle right now? So I'm, I'm, I've gotten really good at making coaches or not making coaches, but making students extremely successful, but I'm one to one coach, right? I'm, I'm, I'm coaching one student at a time. I'm making an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read a book called 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. And in there he talks about how important it is to also coach leaders and to push leaders. And my goal is to start leading other leaders and helping other people. So my impact can be so much larger. I feel like I'm kind of like a, I'm the, I'm the bottleneck. I only can do so much and I'm finding that that's not enough for me. So that's kind of, what are you doing about that? Um, I'm coaching some coaches. I'm trying to sponsor some coaches right now. So I, I brought on, it's kind of their private clients right now, Mm -hmm. but, um, something that I'm focusing on actually. But as far as trying to become a better leader, right. Where you can make a bigger impact. Is there anything you're doing specifically to improve your leadership? Yeah. So my coach, 
Got it. Right. The one that I'm paying 50 grand. So that's where my coaching is right now. It's where my, most of my coaching money is going to for my own self-improvement mm-hmm. is making myself a better leader and empowering these other coaches and these other leaders um, in the industry to, to make that impact for me. So yeah. that's where a lot of my energy and focus personally right now is. Got it. And what is your superpower? I can shoot a bow over a hundred yards. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've never really thought about what my superpower is. Um, what would your friends and family say is your superpower? They probably say I love every day. They probably say that I'm, um, I'm always happy. Yeah. Um, I am a very, very happy person. I've always been very optimistic, very happy. That's awesome. And what is the greatest lesson that you've learned? I think probably the most aha moment when it comes to money and making money and being successful is being successful creates more success. Helping someone else become successful creates more success for you, for them, and for everyone around them. So the book Richest Man of Babylon talks about that and the importance of teaching other people about financial success because as, as the economy grows within a community, money grows magically. Wealth grows magically. You know, the king builds a castle. There is the richest man of Babylon. King builds a castle. Well, guess what? Now the land is worth more that the, that the castle sits on and the money that he spent didn't just disappear. Now all of the workers now have that money and then they're, they're, they use it and it grows and the land around the castle is worth more and the castle itself still has the value that he paid for it. Yeah. And so the importance of understanding that there's, there's not scarcity, there's abundance. If someone else is successful at making money, that does not mean that equals less for me. That equals more potential mm-hmm. for me, right? There's, when someone wins in business, there's more to be won now. It's not he won, so that means less, less business for the other competitive company. I don't believe that competition's what people believe it is in business. Absolutely. Is that a zero-sum game like some people make it out to be? Yep. Uh, and then is there one failure that you experienced that's your favorite, best, or most interesting? Mm. Man, there's so many. <laughs> so many failures. Um, I think my my favorite failure is learning how to do door-to-door sales to grow my window cleaning business. All of the, all of those moments of being rejected to refining and becoming confident to talking to complete strangers and closing. Right. And I Mm -hmm. learned that doing door to door sales to grow my window cleaning business. So I think that that failure, right. That ongoing failure that took me years, uh, was probably one of my best things that was ever, ever happened. Probably. Did you have to do that when you were in South America? Oh, door to door. Oh yeah. I sold religion, man. Yeah. That's what you I'm can saying. sell that's religion. Imagine. You can sell anything. Right. Well, Cause that's, I think something that pace has as well. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to door to door to sell religion. Yeah. Then you can go door to door, sell anything. And I had to do it in Portuguese. <laughs> Throw that on top. Right. That was tough. Uh, Aaron Gaunt says your superpower is chowing down Brazilian barbecue. <laughs> yeah. Aaron Gaunt's awesome. Aaron, Aaron's a student. Um, they're actually him and Michaela are actually getting married. Um, 
this spring, they asked me to, to marry them. They're amazing people. So That's Aaron, incredible. if you guys are in Southern California, you guys should know Aaron Gaunt for sure. Shout out to Aaron. So yeah. he's a, he's a rock star. He's amazing. Uh, so last question is, is there one book you've gifted more than any other? One book I've gifted. Mm. Man. I would, I would say Rich Dad Poor Dad is probably the most gifted book that I've given to people. Um, and I'm sure most of your audience already knows that one. But I think probably the second most is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. It, it's, it's an incredible one. It's incredible. Very, very good book, Stephen Covey. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. All right. So I want you to think about something you want to leave the listeners with while I make a couple of quick announcements. Guys, if you have value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment. I see 90 people watching. I see 35 thumbs up. us, the more you help us, the more